Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you A Study in Scarlet, which is the first Sherlock Holmes book written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, where Dr. John H. Watson meets the great detective Sherlock Holmes, and together they solve a murder in which Watson is amazed at Holmes' science of deduction. This will be a two-part series, so sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized in two parts by Bert Cools, with Clive Merrison as Sherlock Holmes and Michael Williams as Dr. John Watson. A Study in Scarlet, part one, Revenge. The Second Afghan War brought honors and promotion to many, but for me, it had nothing but misfortune and disaster. I was shot in the shoulder at the fatal battle of Maiwand, and worn with pain and weak from prolonged hardship, I was struck down by enteric fever, the curse of our Indian possessions. For months my life was despaired of, and when at last I came to myself, I was so weak and emaciated that not a day was lost in sending me back to England. I landed a month later on Portsmouth Jetty, with my health irretrievably ruined. I had neither kith nor kin in England, and was therefore as free as air, or as free as an army pension of eleven shillings and sixpence a day will permit a man to be. Under such circumstances, I naturally gravitated to London, that great cesspool into which all the idlers and loungers of the empire are irresistibly drained. Thank you. Here. Thank you, sir. Watson? Uh, what? John Watson? Stanford. Good <laughs> Lord. Whatever have you been doing with yourself? You're as thin as a lath and as brown as a nut. By God, it's good to see you. Let me look at you. Ah, young Stanford. Have you eaten? No, of course you haven't. Come and lunch with me. We'll go to the Holborn. What do you say? Wounded in action, eh? Ah, the shoulder. And then they sent you home? No. 
the base hospital at Peshawar. Filthy place. Now, next to no doctors, never enough supplies. Over three quarters of the patients come down with typhoid. You too? Oh, yeah. Never rains, but it pours, eh? Oh, what do you know about it? Sitting here at home, safe and snug, it's just a game to you, isn't it? Just a damn game. What's I'm sorry, Stanford. My nerves are shot to pieces. It's all right, old man. You've had a hell of a time of it. Anyway, I'm glad I ran into you. And so am I. I'm afraid I've not been much of a lunch companion. Not a bit of it. Oh, what are you doing these days? Is it Dr. Stanford yet? <laughs> Afraid not. You're not still up at bar. The perpetual student, that's me. Damn sight better than working for a living, I tell you. <laughs> what about you? Still writing? Finished the notorious novel yet? Uh, I haven't so much as glanced at it. So what are you up to? Nothing at all, really. I've been leading a meaningless sort of existence. Where are you living? An hotel in Strand. An hotel? But isn't that rather... <laughs> rather beyond my means? Yes, it is. So, as from today, I do have an aim in life. I'm looking for new lodgings. Comfortable rooms at a reasonable price. Well, that's a strange thing. Well, what's strange about it? Well, you're the second man today who's used that expression to me. Really? Yes. The other chap had found his comfortable rooms all right, but the price was too high for him. He was looking for someone to go halves. By Jove. Who is he? Well, Stanford. A fellow who's working in the laboratory up at the hospital. You mustn't blame me if you don't get on with him. Why are you being so cagey about this man? Why shouldn't I get on with him? You don't know him yet. You might not care for him as a constant companion. Why? What is there against him? Oh, I didn't say there was anything against him. He's a little queer in his ideas. Mm. What is he? Medical student? I don't think so. I've no idea what he intends to go in for. Huh. A mystery man, eh? He's a first-class chemist. But a little queer in his ideas. <laughs> uh, let's see if he's in here. At his setting room? Is that likely? Hmm. He was in here yesterday. Well, he isn't today. Anyway, if he's a chemist, what was he doing in there? He was beating a cadaver with a cudgel. Beating a cadaver? He told me he wanted to find out how far bruises can be produced after death. Good grief. I hope he confines that sort of thing to the hospital. If I'm going to lodge with anyone, I'd rather prefer them to be the quiet, studious type. Stamford! I found it! <laughs> Stamford! I found it! I knew I would! <laughs> Dr. Watson, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. How do you do? How are you? You've been in Afghanistan, I perceive... How on earth did you know that? <laughs> Never mind. Come and look at this. Hmm? Now, come on. I found a reagent which is precipitated by haemoglobin and nothing else. Well, you see the significance. It's interesting chemically, I suppose. Interesting. It's the most practical medico-legal discovery for years. An infallible test for bloodstains. Once blood has dried, it's impossible to tell the stains from rust or mud or fruit or a dozen other things. The only important thing about stains is getting rid of them. Who wants to tell them apart? Some of the vilest crimes of the century have gone undetected because of that very point, Stampler. But no longer. Oh, now we have the Sherlock Holmes test. <laughs> now, now, look here. Get rid of this clutter. Oh, good. Steady on it. Yes, there, now. 
Doctor, please pass me that needle. Here. Thank you. Now, let's have some fresh blood. Yeah, the blood goes into a litre of water. There. The proportion can't be more than one in a million. But add some of this. Yes, and exactly three drops of this. There. I say. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. An instant reaction and quite unmistakable. And it works on old blood as well as new. The Sherlock Holmes test. Congratulations. There was a case of von Bischoff at Frankfurt last year, and, and Mason in Bradford, and the notorious Muller, and Lefebvre of Montpellier, and Samson of New Orleans. Oh, ho, ho. if this test had been in existence then. What if it had? Well, they would most certainly all have been hung. Pass me that sticking plaster, would you, Stamford? Charpentier? My mother is out, sir. May I help you? Uh, my employer, Mr. Drebber, and I are looking for accommodation. Oh. Uh, two rooms, a uh, full board. Well, I'm not uh, sure. Perhaps we could wait for Madame Charpentier. Well, yes, we... we'll wait. I'm sure you can uh, entertain us the meanwhile. <laughs> 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 What are these rooms like? Oh, don't concern yourself. They'll suit us down to the ground. I'm pleased to hear it. You don't object to the smell of strong tobacco, I hope? I always smoke ships myself. Well, then that, that's good enough. I generally have chemicals about and occasionally do experiments. Would that annoy you? By no means. Good. Now, let me see. What are my other shortcomings? Oh, really? No, 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 no. I, <clears throat> I get in the dumps at times. Don't open my mouth for days on end. You mustn't think I'm sulky when I do that. Now, just let me learn, and I'll, I'll soon be all right. Ah, very well. What have you to confess now, Doctor? Me? Well, it's just as well for two fellows to know the worst of one another before they begin to live together. Hmm? <laughs> oh, come on, come on. <laughs> well, I keep a bull pup. A dog? Yeah. A friendly little chap. His name's Beecher. Beecher. Uh, uh, what else? Ah, I object to rise because my nerves are shaken. I get up at all sorts of ungodly hours, and I'm extremely lazy. Yeah. I have another set of vices when I'm well, but those are the principal ones present. Do you include violin playing in your category of rows? <laughs> that depends upon the player. A well-played violin is a treat for the gods. A badly played one. Oh, that's all right, then. <laughs> <laughs> There you are, gentlemen. There's this room, the bedroom adjoining, and another one upstairs. 
terms to include all meals and laundry. Illuminating gas is extra. Hmm. Well, Doctor, hmm. seems splendid so far. I'll just have a look at Thank you, Mrs Hudson. We'll take it. I think I'll have this corner for my chemicals, if you've no objection. <laughs> Not in the least. Oh, what am I thinking of? But your constitution isn't up to this. No, I'm perfectly all right. Nonsense, Watson. Uh, sit down. Uh, uh, thank you. Good, good. Uh, you, you rest for a while. The unpacking can wait. I assure you I'm fine. My dear doctor, quite apart from your generally weakened condition, your left shoulder has been seriously injured and recently. Well, yes. Also, but... your right leg, though you disguise the fact very well. So I thought... Well, an ordinary person wouldn't have noticed. <clears throat> I beg your pardon. Yes, but why conceal it at all? To be wounded in the service of one's country is not something to be ashamed of. Mm. No, you're a proud man, Doctor. The pity of others would be abhorrent to you. Mm. Of course. Mm. Good. Oh, really, Holmes? <clears throat> Look at this. No, 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 don't get up. Have you seen the Scotovarius before, hmm? Look at that finish. Ah, it's beautiful. Is it really genuine? I bought it for 50 shillings at a Jew broker's in the Tottenham Court Road. It's worth at least 500 guineas. <laughs> Do you like Bach? Do you like Bach? I'd rather listen to Gilbert and Sullivan. You should have told him. Oh, I did. He carried on as if he hadn't heard a word. <laughs> and then I realised that he wasn't playing Bach anymore. Hmm? It had turned into a I'm called little buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> Lord. Yeah, the man's amazing. How's Beecher? Oh, fighting fit. That was damn decent of you, Watson. I've always wanted a dog. Just never got round to doing anything about it. Does he miss me, do you think? Oh, doesn't seem to. He... Oh, sorry. Didn't mean that the way it sounded. Ah, oh, don't worry. Wasn't really fair on him, state I've been in. And it would never have worked out at Baker Street anyway. <laughs> Extraordinary thing. The way he kept going by Holmes's ankles all the time. <laughs> Stanford? Hmm? Do you happen to know if he's addicted to anything? He seems like a perfectly healthy dog to me. Will you grow up? <laughs> Sorry, old man, but you did set it up rather neatly. What do you mean? Some narcotic? It doesn't strike me as likely. I've seen him lie on the sofa and not move a muscle from morning to night. And the look in his eyes... I said he was a puzzle. How the devil did he know I'd been in Afghanistan? A good many people have wanted to know just how he finds things out. He seems to be well up on an incredible range of subjects. Yesterday at dinner, I was treated to a half-hour lecture on the life of Paganini. On Tuesday, it was medieval torture devices. Mm, I bet that did wonders for your appetite. And yet, he's amazingly ignorant about some things. This morning, he actually claimed not to know that the Earth goes round the sun. You're not serious. Uh, he got quite heated about it. What the deuce is it to me? Now that you've told me, I shall do my best to forget it. It doesn't do to crowd out useful knowledge with a lot of worthless rubbish. I can't fathom him at all. Mm. Did you know he goes in for boxing? Boxing? Mm. He must be a damn sight stronger than he looks. And single stick and fencing. He has a shelf full of trophies. 
He keeps his soil and gravel samples in them. Oh, and his collection of half-smoked cigarettes. I said you might find him difficult to live with. Oh, I don't. Not really. It's just that I do like things to be orderly, everything in its place. He keeps his cigars in the coal scuttle. I can believe it. Have you found out what line he's in yet? No. At first, I thought he was a doctor too, or training to be one. But now, I'm not so sure. Well, have you met any of his friends? Ask one of them. I don't think he has any friends as such. But he has had a stream of visitors. All different sorts. Filthy old peddler, railway port, priest. Yesterday, he saw a young lady. Beautiful girl. Oh! Stanford, you have the mind of a street urchin. Uh, Did he introduce you to this vision of loveliness? I remember you and the ladies. (laughs) No such luck. When Mr. Holmes has his visitors, I'm banished to my bedroom. He's very apologetic about it, mind you. Have you tried listening at the door? Oh, really? It's the only way you're going to find out what he's up to. Short of asking him to his face. Why haven't you done that, anyway? I don't want to. I want to work him out for myself. There's nothing I like better than a good mystery. Drebber. Madame Charpentier. I tell you frankly, sir, your manners towards my maidservants are disgustingly familiar. And worse, sir, you have spoken to my daughter in a way which, fortunately, she is too innocent to understand. (laughs) She's a lovely girl. Ain't the world of me. How dare you, sir? Hold your tongue, woman. Leave me alone. Damn the thing. Mother. Mother, whatever's going on? Leave us, Alice. Oh, no, you don't. Oh. Come here. Yeah, come on, give me your uh, kiss. Mr. Drubber, <laughs> go of me. <laughs> I want you out of my house, Mr. Drebber. Oh, yes? Today. You shall leave today. And think yourself lucky that my son Arthur wasn't here to see your disgusting conduct. <laughs> Why? What would he have done, huh? I must say, Holmes, you couldn't have found a place with a better cook. I haven't tasted steak and kidney pudding like that for years. <laughs> uh, some uh, brandy, Doctor? I believe I will. Thank you. As I suspect the late Mr. Hudson ate his way into an early grave. <laughs> Killing by kindness could be a, a very subtle form of murder, don't you think? What an astonishing notion. <laughs> Uh, There, to your continued recovery. Thank you. Hmm. Now, let's have some music. If Bach isn't to your taste, perhaps you'd like Wagner. Hmm, Wagner. Nothing will come of nothing, Doctor. Ask me a question. I realise it's not actually any of my business, but are you studying medicine? No. 
Sherlock Holmes. His limits. Holmes? Knowledge of literature, nil. Knowledge of philosophy, nil. Knowledge of astronomy, nil. Knowledge of politics, feeble. I burnt that list. Not very thoroughly. Knowledge of botany, variable, well up on belladonna, opium and poisons generally, knows nothing of practical gardening. This is outrageous. <laughs> Knowledge of geology, practical but limited. Knowledge of chemistry, profound. Thank you. Knowledge of anatomy, accurate but unsystematic. Knowledge of sensational literature, immense. Appears to know every detail of every horror perpetrated in the century. <laughs> you left out plays the violin well. Uh, that part you did succeed in burning. Oh, forgive me, Doctor, but I found your list as intriguing as you evidently find me. What conclusion have you drawn? I couldn't reach any conclusion. I burnt that list in frustration. <laughs> All those clues and you deduced nothing. <sighs> Not a thing. Well, well. Have you seen this magazine? Mm -hmm. It came this morning. No, no, I don't believe I have. Is there anything of interest in it? Well, look at uh, this article. A book of life. <laughs> Ambitious sort of title. The Science of Deduction and Analysis. <laughs> <laughs> Begin by mastering an elementary problem. On meeting a fellow man, learn at a glance to distinguish his history and the trade or profession to which he belongs. By a man's fingernails, by his coat sleeve, by his trisonies, by each of these things, a man's calling is plainly revealed. What ineffable twaddle. You think so? <laughs> it's unsigned. I'd like to see this fellow clapped down in a third-class carriage on the underground and asked to give the trades of all his fellow travellers. I'd lay a thousand to one against him. You'll lose your money. As for the article, I wrote it myself. You? Yes, I have a turn both for observation and deduction. The theories there are really extremely practical. So practical I depend on them for my bread and cheese. But how? What exactly do you do for a living? Ah, oh, at last, the direct question. Well, I am a consulting detective, if you can understand what that is. I suppose I'm the only one in the world. Really? Oh, yes. Well, here in London we have lots of government detectives and lots of private ones. When these fellows are at a loss, they come to me and I put them on the right scent. And how is it that you can succeed where they fail? Knowledge of sensational literature. Immense. That was very perceptive of you. I have made a particular study of the history of crime. There's a strong family resemblance about misdeeds. And if you have all the details of a thousand at your finger ends, it's odd if you can't unravel the thousand and first. Couple that with the scientific application of observation and deduction, or ineffable twaddle, as you so colourfully described it. And there you are. A consulting detective. At your service, for a fee, of course. And some of your clients are policemen? Oh, quite so. Well, one fellow's been here several times. Oh, yes, you introduced me. Um, Lestrade, a little sallow man, rat-faced. Yeah, I see you have the knack for observation yourself. He's a well-known detective, Scotland Yard, and got himself into a fog recently over a forgery case. I solved it for him. And the others? Mostly sent on by private inquiry agencies. And you solve their problems without leaving this room? As usually. 
Now and again a case turns up which is a, a little more complex. Then I have to bustle about and see things with my own eyes. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Not at all. When we first met, I told you that you'd been in Afghanistan. A lucky guess. Oh, I try never to guess. Oh, no, it's a shocking habit. Now, I knew it. Now, let's see if I can give you the, the line of reasoning. Here is a gentleman of a medical type with the air of a military man, an army doctor, then. He's just come from the tropics, for his face is dark, and that is not the natural colour of his skin, for his wrists are fair. He has undergone hardship and sickness, and has recently been seriously injured in at least two places. Where could an English army doctor have seen such trials? Clearly in Afghanistan. <laughs> The whole train of thought didn't occupy a second. I put the conclusion into words, and you were astonished. <laughs> Good night, Doctor. He was a terrible man, Arthur. Well, why not, didn't you throw him out earlier, Mother? They were paying £14 a week. And this the slack season. I thought I was acting for the best. It's all right, he's gone now. I wish I'd been here. Oh, please, Arthur, let's forget about it. Now, who on earth can that be at this hour? I'll go. Well, there's no need. Jenny's still out. Hello, Jenny. Oh, no. Is it him? Is it Trevor? Good evening, ladies. I thought I told you oh, that you were surprised to see me, are you? <laughs> I've come to take your little Alice away oh, with no. me. I live like a princess. Come here and kiss me. Oh, oh, come on. Oh, 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 who's there? Take this first kiss. Oh. Oh. Outside with oh. you. Come on, get out. Oh. Oh. Listen to me, Trevor. If you dare to show your face in our house again, I'll kill you. Do you hear me? And this thing's what you remember. I mean it, Trevor. I'll kill you. But today? I was right. You do have a talent for observation. Trust you've left me some coffee. Anything interesting in the paper? <coughs> Evidently not. There are no crimes and no criminals these days. What's the use of having brains in my profession? I know well that I have it in me to make my name famous. No man has ever lived who's brought the same amount of study and natural talent to the detection of crime as I have done. I believe you. And what's the result? There's no crime to detect, or at most some bungling villainy so transparent that even a Scotland Yard official can see through it. <sighs> this coffee's cold. I'll ring for some more. I wonder what he's looking for. Mm. Who? Just 
crossing the street. See? <sighs> oh, you mean the retired sergeant of marines? Rag of bunch! That's a pure guess and a safe one, too. You know perfectly well. I've no way of verifying it. On the contrary. I believe you'll have every chance. Listen. Retired Sergeant of Marines, eh? Undoubtedly. <laughs> Come in. A person to see you, Mr. Holmes. Yeah, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. This way, gentlemen. I have a letter for Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Ah, thank you. Good day, gentlemen. One moment, my man. Sir? May I ask what your trade may be? Commissioner, sir. Uniform away for repairs. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sir? And you were? A sergeant, sir. Royal Marine Light Infantry. Thank you, sergeant. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Good day. How in the world did you deduce that? Deduce what? Uh, excuse me, you, you broke the thread of my thoughts. I'm sorry, but it was wonderful. Uh, oh, commonplace. Great blue anchor tattooed on the back of his hand, military bearing, air of command, a dozen other details. Oh, look at this note. Oh. Thank you. I said just now there were no criminals. It appears that I was wrong. This is terrible. It does seem to be a little out of the common. Out of the common? A man bearing no sign of a wound found dead in a pool of blood. In an empty house in Brixton. Who is this Tobias Gregson? The smartest of the Scotland Yarders. And he's come to you for help? Oh, he and Lestrade are the pick of a bad lot, and they have their knives into one another. <laughs> They're as jealous as a pair of professional beauties. <laughs> Oof, there'll be some fun in this case if they're both put on the scent. <laughs> Watson? Oh, surely there's not a moment to be lost. I'll order you a cab. Oh, well, I, I'm not sure about whether I shall go. What? It's just a chance you've been longing for. Oh, my dear fellow, what does it matter to me? Supposing I do unravel the problem, Gregson and Lestrade and company will pocket all the credit. That comes of being an unofficial personage. But he begs you to help him. Yes, well, he knows that I'm his superior and acknowledges it to me, but he'd cut his tongue out before owning it to a third person. <laughs> Mm. However, we may as well go and have a look. I may have a laugh at them, if I have nothing else. <laughs> mm. Come on, your hat, come on. You wish me to come? Yeah, uh, if you've nothing better to do. Sorry, gents, can't go in there. Good morning, Constable. We are here at Inspector Gregson's invitation. Oh, beg your pardon, sir. You'll find him inside, with Inspector Lestrade. Oh, excellent. Sir? <laughs> nothing. Come along, Watson. Thank you, Constable. Sir? Holmes? Shh, shh, shh. Sorry. Yeah. What is it? Have you found something? Yes, exactly what I was expecting to find. Ah, footprints. <laughs> Watson. Yes? This may not be pleasant. Are you sure your nerves can take it? I wouldn't miss this for the world. Good man. Ah, Gregson. Mr. Holmes, it's kind of you to come. Inspector Tobias Gregson, Dr. John Watson. Good day, Doctor. Inspector? I'll be glad of an expert medical opinion. Oh, come in, gentlemen. I've left everything untouched. Except that. Mr. Holmes? The pathway man. If a herd of buffaloes had passed along it, there couldn't be a greater mess. Well, I've had so much to do inside the house. 
I had relied on Mr Lestrade to look after the path. Uh, of course. Did you come here in a cab, Gregson? No, sir. Nor Lestrade? No, sir. Ah. Then let us go and look at this unfortunate individual. Have you found out who the poor fellow was yet, Inspector? Yes, we have, Doctor. He was an American, seemingly. Name of Drebber. Enoch J. Drebber. Thank you, Mr. Lestrade. Mr. Gregson. Good morning, Mr. Holmes. Lestrade. I didn't expect to see you here, Doctor. Good morning, Inspector. Well, I suppose there's no harm. It's this room, gentlemen. But before you go in, perhaps I should warn you. It's not exactly pretty. Yes, yes, Lestrade. Good God. Fascinating. This case will make a stir, mark my words. It beats anything I've seen. And I'm no chicken. I agree with Lestrade. This is a nasty business. Come, Doctor. To work. You're quite sure there's no wound? Positive. And yet there's blood everywhere. It reminds me of the death of Van Janssen in Utrecht in the year 34. Remember the case, Gregson? Uh, no, sir. Read it up. You really should. There's nothing new under the sun. What do you think, Mr. Rose? Don't read it straight. I've just walked from the door. Doctor. Yes? I wonder if you'd oblige me by taking a few notes. Notes? It would be of enormous assistance. Then I'd be glad to. Use my notepad. You have a, a pencil? Yes. Excellent. Gregson, with your permission, I shall examine the body. Yes, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, Lestrade. Mr. Holmes. Be so good as to hold my hat. <clears throat> now, let's see. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Now, this is the body of a man about 43 or 44 years of age. Middle-sized... Hmm. Broad-shouldered, well-dressed, immaculate collar and cuffs, <laughs> uh, hmm. patent leather boots, hmm. size ten, a top hat on the floor beside him. Huh. Body curiously twisted, hands clenched, legs interlocked. been moved at all? No more than we had to, to examine him properly. Yes, of course. Lestrade, give me a hand to turn him over. Right. <sighs> a ring. I was caught up in the folds of his jacket. Got it. Oh, this is a woman's wedding ring. There's been a woman here. Oh, this complicates matters. Heaven knows they were complicated enough before. You're sure it doesn't simplify them? Hmm? But there's nothing to be learned by staring at it. What did you find in his pockets? Uh, we have it all here. Ah, more notes, if you please, Doctor. <laughs> hmm. a gold watch, gold ring, gold pin with rubies. Hmm. Whatever the motive was, it certainly wasn't robbery. Yes. Russian leather card case. With visiting cards of Enoch J. Drebber of Cleveland, USA. 
And two letters, one addressed to E.J. Drebber and the other to Joseph Stangerson. What address, Lestrade? American Exchange, The Strand, be called for. Have you made any inquiries as to this man Stangerson, Gregson? I did so at once. Mm. Indeed, Lestrade. Advertisements in all newspapers and a man sent to the American Exchange. No information yet. Have you sent to Cleveland? I telegraphed this morning. How did you word your inquiries? I simply detailed the circumstances. Nothing else? Is there no single factor upon which this whole case appears to hinge? Will you not telegraph again? I've said all I have to say. <laughs> Mr Gregson! Hmm? Gentlemen, I have just made a discovery of the highest importance. Oh, yes? Yes. Pray, look over here. This is the darkest part of the room, but observe this candle stub on the shelf. When it was burning, this area of the wall would have been clearly lit. Now, what do you make of that? Good God. Is that blood? Yes. R A C H E. Written in letters of blood. Rach. A most important clue. Well, what does it mean now that you've found it? Rach. It means that the writer was going to put the female name Rachel, but was disturbed before he or she had time to finish. You mark my words. A woman named Rachel has something to do with all this. <laughs> oh, it's all very well for you to laugh, Mr Holmes. But the old hound is the best when all's said and done. Uh, I really do beg your pardon, Lestrade. You deserve the credit for having found it. <laughs> with your permission, I'll examine the room now. I've already done so. Now, carry on, Mr Holmes. Thank you. He won't find anything else. <sighs> I'll bet my pension. Ah, look at him sniffing around. <laughs> uh, no disrespect intended, Doctor, but there's a right way and a wrong way to go about this sort of work. Yes, I'm sure there is. <laughs> Have you known him long, Doctor? Hmm? Long enough to know that he does nothing without some definite purpose. <clears throat> ah, Mr Holmes, uh, what do you think? Uh, it would be robbing you of the credit if I were to presume to help you. You too are... Uh, are doing so well. But I should like to speak to the constable who found the body. Uh, John Rance. He's off duty now. I have a note of his home address. Um, here you are, Doctor. Thank you, Inspector. Ah, come along, Watson. We'll look him up. I'll tell you one thing which may help you in the case. Oh, yes? There has been a murder done, and the murderer was a man. He was more than six feet high, was in the prime of life, had small feet for his height, wore coarse, square-toed boots and smoked a Trichinopoly cigar. He came here with his victim in a four-wheeled cab, which was drawn by a horse with three old shoes and a new one on his off foreleg. In all probability, the murderer had a florid face and the fingernails of his right hand were remarkably long. These are only a few indications, but they may assist you. If this man was murdered, how was it done? Poison. Poison? Oh, and one other thing, Lestrade. Don't waste your time looking for Miss Rachel. Rache is the German word for revenge. <laughs> Good morning. It seems obvious once you've explained it. Oh. Hmm. 
I can understand how you knew about the cab and its horse from the signs in the mud, and how you calculated the height of the murderer from the length of his stride. I was right about the footprints. You were right about the footprints. Well, what about his age? In the prime of life, you said. Well, if a man can step four and a half feet without the smallest effort, he can't be quite in the sear and the yellow. There's no mystery about it. Mm. The abnormally long fingernails? The writing on the wall was done with a man's forefinger dipped in blood. The scratches made by his nail were unmistakable, as was the wholly distinctive ash which had dropped from his trichinopoly cigar. <laughs> oh, I flatter myself that I can distinguish at a glance the ash of any known brand of cigar or tobacco. Good Lord. You said the murderer had a florid face. No, I said that there was a strong probability of it, which is not the same thing. My head's in a whirl. Raka, revenge. Are we looking for a German assassin? I'm not going to tell you anything more, Doctor. Oh. You know, a conjurer gets no credit once he's explained his tricks. If I show you too many of my methods, you'll conclude that I'm a very ordinary individual after all. Oh, never. You have brought detection as near an exact science as it ever will be brought in this world. <laughs> I'll tell you one more thing I read from the footprints. The two men came in the same cab and they walked down the path as friendly as possible, arm in arm in all probability. Arm in arm? Yes, once they get inside, patent leathers, the victim stood still and square toes walked up and down the room getting more and more excited. Then the tragedy occurred. We must hurry up. I want to go to a concert this afternoon. I'll tell it you from the beginning, sir. My time is from ten at night till six in the morning. At eleven, uh, there was a fight at the White Art, but bar that was quite enough on the beat. About two, or maybe a little after, I thought I'd take a bit of a look around down the Brixton Road. It was precious, dirty and lonely. Not a soul did I see, barring a cab or two. I was strolling down, thinking between ourselves how uncommon handy a four a gin ought to be, when suddenly... The glint of a light caught my eye, and that house, what I knew was empty on account of him that owns it, won't have the drain seat to, even though the last tenant what lived there died of the typhoid fever. Yes. The door was unlocked. I pushed it open and went into the front room, where there was the stub of a candle burning. In the light of the candle, I saw... Well, you know what I saw. I went back to the gate and sounded my rattle, and that brought Ted Murcher from the Olin Grove beat. Apart from the two of us, the street was empty. Well, empty as far as anybody that could be of any good goes. <laughs> I've seen many a drunk chap in my time, but never anyone as crying drunk as that cove. He was at the gate when I come out, leaning up against the railings and singing at the pitch of his lungs. He could hardly stand. <laughs> I can see him now, clear as day, great tall chap, with his long red face. Uh, Constable Rance. Uh, sir? What became of this man? Oh, I'd quite enough to do without looking after him. I'll wager he found his way home all right. The blundering fool to think of his having such an incomparable stroke of luck and not taking advantage of it. It's true that his description of the drunk tallies with your idea of the murderer. Tallies? That drunk was the murderer. But why should he come back to the house after leaving it? That's not the way of criminals. The ring, man, the ring. That's what he came back for. If we have no other way of catching him, we can always bait our line with a ring. <laughs> I shall have him, Doctor. I'll lay you two to one. Uh, no bet. I must thank you. For what? 
I might not have gone, but for you, I might have missed the finest study I ever came across. <laughs> a study in scarlet, eh? A study in scarlet? Yeah. Why shouldn't we use a, a little art jargon? There's the scarlet thread of murder running through the colourless skein of life, and our duty is to unravel it and isolate it and expose every inch of it. But now I must send a telegram, and then lunch, I think, and then for Madame Norman Neruda. Her attack and bowing are splendid. What's that little thing she plays so magnificently? I, um, I don't believe I know it. It'll teach you to overdo things, Doctor. Chasing about London after German subversives. Come in. Oh, good afternoon, Doctor. I thought I heard you come back. I just wanted to see if dinner at the usual time would be convenient. <clears throat> Why, Doctor Watson, whatever is the matter? Nothing, Mrs Hudson, nothing at all. Nonsense. Come over here and sit down this minute. You look exhausted. My dear lady, I assume... Uh, don't you try to sweet-talk me, young man. I'm not some slip of a thing you can get around just like that. Mrs. Hudson. Yes, well, I dare say it's worked with a good few before now, but I've seen something of life, and I know a sick man when I see one. Now, are you going to sit down, Doctor, or are you going to be stubborn and stand there pretending until you fall down? I'm sorry, Mrs. Hudson. You're quite right. There. That's better. I'll get you some chamomile tea. And while I'm doing it, you can put your feet up. Here, let me help you. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> oh, I, I do beg your pardon. Try to get some sleep. I dare say he won't be back for hours yet. What is it this time? The hospital again? Another stroll around the East End? Oh, violin concert. St. James's Hall, I think. He's one of a kind, your friend. No, I'll see to your tea. You get some sleep. Yeah, you wouldn't believe the morning I've heard, Mrs. Hudson. I dare say not. Sleep now. Uh, I don't think I could. <laughs> it's too much excitement, you see. Too much excitement. Watson, quite magnificent. Do you remember what Darwin says about music? Oh, what? He claims that the power of producing and appreciating it existed among the human race long before the power of speech was arrived at. Perhaps that's why we are so subtly influenced by it. Yes, there are vague memories in our souls of those misty centuries when the world was in its childhood. It's uh, rather a broad idea. Well, one's ideas must be as broad as nature if one's to interpret nature. <laughs> oh. 
What's the matter? You're not looking quite yourself. This Brixton Road affair has upset you. Uh, to tell you the truth, it has. I ought to be more case-hardened after my Afghan experiences. I saw my own comrades hacked to death at my wand without losing my nerve. I just can't shake off the image of that twisted body in that terrible room. I can understand. There's a mystery about this which stimulates the imagination, and imagination is the breeding ground of horror. Hmm. Uh, have you seen the evening papers? No. Well, they think of a fairly good account of the affair, but none of them mention the ring. Uh, just as well. Why? Well, look at this announcement in the found column. Um, there. Found... In the Brixton Road this morning, a plain gold wedding ring. Mm, there's a copy of that in every evening paper. Apply between 8 and 9 tonight to Dr J Watson. Uh, excuse excuse me using your name. If I use my own, some of these dunderheads would recognise it and want a medal in the affair. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. But suppose somebody answers. I have no ring. Oh, yes, you have. <laughs> Here. This is almost a facsimile. Who do you expect will come? Why? Our florid friend with the square toes. The murderer? Well, why should he fear a trap? Well, you shall see him within the hour. And then? Well, you can leave me to deal with him. Uh, have you any weapons? My old service revolver and a few cartridges. Hmm. Oh, you'd better clean and load it. Hmm. It's as well to be ready for anything. Frighten him. <laughs> Don't frighten him. Holmes, is Mrs. Hudson safe? Perfectly. This man is a calculating murderer, not a madman who strikes out at random. I asked her to send him up alone and then lock herself and the maid in the kitchen. Now, here he is. Remember, do nothing to make him suspicious. He's already killed one man. Come in. Dr. Watson? Yes, madam? I've come about the ring. What o'clock did you return here last night? I've told you, I can't remember. You admit to assaulting the man? Yes, yes, how many more times? And then you left him lying in the gutter and just walked away. Can you produce any witnesses to support this story, other than members of your family, I mean? I thought I heard a cab. You thought you heard a cab? Well, the cabbie may have seen us. I don't know. Mm. Arthur Charpentier, I'm placing you under arrest for the willful murder of one Enoch J. Drebber of the United States of America. Take him away. Oh, bless you, sir. You've done a Christian deed this day. We never thought to see this ring again, that we didn't. I'm pleased to have been of service, Mrs Sawyer. Good evening to you. And to you, Doctor. My Sally will be a glad woman this night. The Lord be praised. God bless you. And you too, sir. Uh, good night. Good night. 
Watson? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, but the look on your face. I'd have given a thousand pounds for a camera and some flash powder. Oh, 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 look, I'm sorry you were wrong about the ring. Obviously, Trevor just picked it up in the street where that poor old thing's daughter lost it. What are you doing? Following her, of course. That feeble old woman. Holmes! <laughs> Who's that? Easy, Watson. Uh, Holmes, what time is it? Uh, just before midnight. Do you mind if I light the lamp? <laughs> My apologies. No, uh, no, it's all right. Have you just got back? Uh, yes. Oh, what on earth happened? <laughs> Holmes? Don't be so infuriated. <laughs> what the devil? Oh, I wouldn't have a Scotland Yarders know it for all the world. <laughs> They'd never let me hear the end of it. What? The end of what? <laughs> oh, 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 very well. I, I don't mind telling a story against myself. Uh, that creature hobbled a little way and then began to limp. She hailed a four-wheeler. I tried to get near enough to catch the address, but I needn't have bothered. She sang it out loud enough to be heard the other side of the street. <laughs> 13 Duncan Street, Houndsditch. That's the address she gave me? Yes. Oh, this begins to look genuine, I thought. So what did you do? I perched myself on the back of the cab out of sight. You did what? Oh, it's an art every detective should be an expert at. Well, a wavy rattle and never drew rain till we got there. I hopped off just before we came to the door and strolled down the street. The cab pulled up, the driver jumped down, and nothing came out. But what had happened to me? When I reached the driver, he was groping about frantically in the empty cab and giving vent to the finest collection of oaths that ever I listened to. <laughs> but what had happened to Mrs. Sawyer? <laughs> uh, uh, I inquired at number 13. The house belongs to a respectable paper hanger called Keswick. Keswick? Keswick. No Mrs. Sawyer had ever been heard of there. You mean to say that that tottering, feeble old woman was able to get out of the cab while it was going along without either you or the driver seeing her? Uh, old woman be damned. <laughs> oh, we were the old women to be taken in. Now oh, it must have been a, a young man and an active one too, besides being an incomparable actor. The disguise was superb. Yes. Now, Doctor, you're looking done up. Yeah. I'm afraid I am. Take my advice and turn in. Uh, I won't disturb you. You're not retiring? No. No. I want to think. Good night, then. Yeah. I left him in the dim light of the lamp, seated in front of the smouldering fire, 
wrapped in an old mouse-coloured dressing gown, his eyes fixed vacantly upon the corner of the room, and his long legs stretched out across the hearth. Long into the watches of the night, I heard the slow, melancholy wailing of his violin. That was part one of A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatised in two parts by Bert Cools, with Clive Merrison as Sherlock Holmes and Michael Williams as Dr John Watson. Joseph Stangerson was played by Matt Zimmerman, Enoch Drebber by Ed Bishop, Inspector Lestrade by Donald G, Inspector Gregson by John Moffat and Mrs Hudson by Anna Cropper. Paul Downing played Stamford, John Bull, Arthur, Marcia King, Madame Charpentier, Jane Slavin, Alice, and Michael Kilgariff, P.C. Rance. Other parts were played by members of the cast. The violinist was Alexander Balanescu. A Study in Scarlet was directed by Ian Cottrell and produced by David Johnston. Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening, and again, thank you for listening. <laughs>